So we are returning to the Psalms for inspiration this morning, the Psalms being the prayer and song book of the Hebrew Bible. So we're going to use the Psalms over the course of several weeks just to kind of guide our time together. And this is a book that captures the wide array of emotions and views of God, from despair and doubting or even challenging God to giving praise and thanksgiving for God's goodness and provision. And we're looking to the Psalms because of a book that Vince came across recently. We'll put it up on the screen if you want to um, take a look, get your own copy. It's called 21 Psalms for the 21st Century by Marjorie Sue Hockey, who is a feminist process theologian now in her 90s. This is a collection of really great short devotionals and meditations on a selection of the Psalms, and each one ends with a contemporary version of the Psalm. So if you are like me right now and you need smaller things to be reading to digest, this is a really great option. Um, They're super easy to follow along with. So this week specifically, we are going to look at Psalm 42. And in a moment, we'll read through it. But I want to preface this by saying that this is not the most cheerful and happy psalm. It's not entirely despairing. I would say it leans melancholy, a real hard lean. It's definitely a psalm of lament. There are these despair um, themes that are evident in questions like, where is your God? And why are you cast down, O my soul? Or the line, my tears have been food day and night. So not the most upbeat, (laughs) but there is an undeniable thread of hope that runs throughout, and we'll talk more about that. And honestly, I was a little bit worried about picking the psalm for today, um, just because it's like 70 degrees and sunny outside, or it's supposed to be later, and it's springtime, and so happy and joyful and good. But then I remembered it's always dark and cold in the Davis, so we can talk about despairing psalms anytime, because it does not feel like it's 70 degrees and sunny in here. And truthfully, I tend to be drawn to the more despairing psalms than the joyful shout praises of thanksgiving type of stuff. I don't know if anyone feels similarly. And I used to jump to the conclusion that, oh, I'm drawn to this more because I'm cynical. And I wore that cynicism like some badge of honor. But we've talked a lot about the push and pull of cynicism and hope lately. And I don't actually think that these words feel necessary because I'm a cynic. I think that they just feel like a more accurate picture of hope that I can actually hold to. This hope that comes alongside lament and depicts the very real state of things, which isn't always pretty. So we're going to put this up on the screen so you can read along if you would like to. But I will read Psalm 42 for us now. If you want to just settle into your seat, if it helps you to close your eyes while you listen, feel free to do whatever you need to focus in. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I went with the throng and led them in procession in the house of God with glad shouts of songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. 
Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? As with a deadly wound in my body, my enemies taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. So as we go through this psalm for today, I want to walk us through a couple of tensions that are present and what I think we can learn from these tensions. And if you have other ideas of what we can draw out of these tensions as well, please feel free to put those in the chat so that we can gather some more ideas. The first is the tension of then and now. The act of remembering is really central here. The psalm is expressing this back and forth between the kind of rough current state of things and a rosy past where things were really different. And it starts with the phrase, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, which is so dramatic, I love it. But Marjorie Suhaki, who wrote the 21st, uh, 21 Psalms book, has a great quote on this that we'll put up. She says, Plunged into despair, the psalmist can look back, can only look back longingly to a time when things were different, when God was so close that the psalmist led processions into the house of God, celebrating God's blessing, God's presence in a time of festival. This memory is so strong, but all the more painful because its strength highlights the dreadful pain of God's absence now. So this general tension of then and now throughout the passage boils down to, God, this is when you were close. Where are you now? And I don't think that this is a far-off sentiment for many of us, whatever your religious or spiritual journey may have looked like so far. Some of us may describe it as looking back at a time like the psalmist when we felt God's presence more strongly or clearly or maybe in a less complicated way. Or maybe we can look back and simply name, remember when I was happier or more confident, when life was easier, when I didn't have to worry about whatever I fill in the blank there. And I'm not putting us all in the same category of currently being in despair. Maybe you currently feel like this is the best that life has ever been. But I do think that that comparison, whether to our past selves or to those around us, that can sneak in any time. And that remember when can be really tricky because even when there are happy and beautiful changes in life, we can still grieve what used to be and what once was. There is inevitable loss in embracing something new, whether it feels like a positive or a negative change in the moment. And I find it really interesting that the remember when comparison in Psalm 42 puts God's presence in the religious festival when the author was leading this procession and celebrating God's blessings, 
This is the happy past when the author felt close to God, tied to a religious community. And in my own experience, I had to do a lot of work around this idea of attaching God's presence to a certain religious community or type of experience because I had internalized what experiencing God's presence should feel like or be like. These kind of heightened states with emotional worship music and lights or feeling waves of overwhelming joy, a lot of stress on tears or feeling goosebumps or big aha moments. And I'm not saying that God can't be present in the music and overwhelming joy and things like that, but these types of things were set up as the only signs of God's presence, like the blessings and the festival and the psalm. It's hard to even name or describe, I think, because it was just such a stress on an embodied feeling. The idea that God's voice sounded a certain way and God's presence felt a certain way. And that set me up for my own version of then and now. In times when I wasn't tied to that faith community or when I was unlearning some things about God or going through whatever struggle, the natural conclusion is to do what the psalmist does, to place God in the past and absent from the present. And I wonder if you have had any experience with this, this kind of then and now tension of how you used to experience God and how you experience God now. And I think this widens too, how you used to experience community and how you experience it now, how you used to feel seen and loved and how you feel seen and loved now. How have things changed for you? Something I wanna offer that we can take from this now and then tension is that our experience of God can and should change. Psalm 42 does get at this. It's not just a clear cut before and after of experiencing God and then not experiencing God. Despite all of the why have you forgotten me and the where is your God questioning, even as the psalmist is lamenting that his soul is cast down, he still uses really personal names for God throughout. The God of my life, God, my rock, God, my help, my God. This dissonance between seeing God as absent and at the same time calling God as a source of help gets at this tension, I think, between outward reality and still having this inner longing, this inner gut feeling that God was still present. One of the names for God that's used here that's really interesting to me is God, my rock because I think often we think of a rock as being solid and unmoving and unchanging. And then this extends to the belief that we must be solid and unmoving and unchanging. But elsewhere in scripture, Jesus is referred to as the living stone. So it's a moving rock, it's not just stationary. It's kind of the circus act here of balancing on a moving rock what it means to be resting on God, the living stone. And it requires that we're flexible, not rigid, that we are willing to move and to adjust. Naturally, we will experience the presence of God or of love or feeling seen and comforted, feeling at peace, whatever you want to name it, in changing ways because we change, we're different. And because this is a living God who is accessible and moving and big enough to be experienced in the vastness of the beauty of creation and the small, quiet moments of stillness and even loneliness, we have a God that's with us in this changing process. And the imagery that's evoked here is waves of water. 
to refresh your memory, we'll put this uh, portion of the scripture up too so you can read along. It says, deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts. All your waves and your billows have gone before me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. And I love this visual, because when you think of waves, the billows that rise and fall, they're both steady and changing. You may get a tiny ripple or an overwhelming surge, by the, but the water keeps moving either way. It's like that game that you play at the beach when you run down as close as you can to get to the water and then run back before the wave gets you. You don't know if it's going to be a small one or a really big surge. It changes, but it's moving and it's steady. The loving presence of God remains steady even as it changes. So a practice that could be helpful for us here. It might be helpful to take some time just to think through, how am I actively experiencing God now? What makes me feel close to God, to a source of love now? Is it different before? And this could be in big ways or really simple things, like maybe you used to feel that closeness through a certain type of music, and now it's going for a hike with friends. We can be grateful for the past ways that we experienced that nearness while still validating what it looks like in the present moment, just to recognize that we are growing and changing and God accompanies us on that journey. Instead of being tempted to sort things into then and now, can you follow the thread of God's steady presence through the billows of good times and more difficult times? The other tension that I want us to look at this morning in Psalm 42 is the tension of hope and despair. And this one's fairly obvious, that hope and lament are so incredibly intertwined here. It's almost like whiplash between crying out in despair and then expressing reverence and praise for God. It's a back and forth. On the despair side of the tension, the, writing, the writer keeps returning to the question that his enemies are asking and that he seems to be asking himself as well. Where is your God? And I think this is one of the most common questions when it comes to wrestling with belief in God. Where is God in this? Where is God when blank happens? Even the opening line, as a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God, gets at despair. Which is funny to me because this is the opening line of a really popular hymn, As the Deer, which was number two in the hymnal at my church growing up. And it was my go-to song to play on piano and sing for all my church camp friends because I was really cool. <laughs> But you have this really peaceful, beautiful hymn about protection and closeness to God. And so I missed this kind of desperation in the moment of this deer looking for a source of water. And I missed it until I read what Marjorie Suhaki writes in her reflection on this one. She says, the memorable image of a thirsty deer frantically looking for a stream to assuage its thirst is what we're given. So you have these clear expressions of despair, frantic and desperate, questions that sound familiar like, God, where are you? And then you have that thread of hope, which comes in the form of this inner conversation with the writer's own soul. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him again, my help and my God. 
The despair may be the present reality, but the hope is actually what's propelling things forward. There will be future praise. There will be future hope. And I think this is generally true of hope, that it moves us forward and it carries us. It's why I'm not so convinced that this is a psalm of altogether despair, because things like despair and bitterness keep us stuck. I wonder if that feels familiar for you, that bitterness really doesn't have much movement to it. There isn't momentum. But hope is what moves things along. And that is what the writer keeps returning to. The steady waves keep rising, the steadfast love of God. And what we can take from this tension of hope and despair is a reminder to look for the holy in the midst of it all. I listened to this really great, um, fairly recent episode of the podcast, On Being, that was a conversation with host Krista Tippett and one of my favorite authors, Barbara Brown Taylor. And I can link this later in Discord if anyone is interested in listening. In it, they named this kind of innate human hunger for holiness. Even the idea of holiness, looking for the holy, may seem kind of uncomfortable. Like it's too religious of a concept. Maybe it comes with this notion that there needs to be set parameters around what is holy and what is not, what is sacred and what is profane, what is close to God or far from God. But Barbara Brown Taylor offers a different take on what is holy. She reframes this hunger for holiness that we all have as searching for a sense of being rooted. To be holy is to keep one's balance while the earth moves under our feet, she says. To be holy is to keep one's balance while the earth moves under our feet. And I love recognizing this desire because longing to feel grounded is something I think that we all search for, whether we are feeling particularly hopeful or are stuck in despair. And feeling grounded and connected is actually what helps close the gap between despair and hope. There may not be some drastic change in circumstance suddenly alleviating all suffering and pain. That may not happen. Instead, we can experience comfort and closeness within the pain and choose to be hopeful in the midst of our present reality. I think of all the people who have sat with me over the years and helped me stay grounded and present and stable even when there were varying degrees of feeling like things were falling apart. Maybe you've had this experience too, that it wasn't that they tried to fix anything for me or solve anything. Which you're, if you're on the other end and you're sitting with someone who's in that place, it can be really hard to not jump into that, to want to offer some type of solution or fix for what's going on. But instead, their presence was just enough to keep me hopeful. And I can look back now and name that as the presence of God, the presence of holiness. And so there are two practices to help us um, in looking for the holy, as Barbara Brown Taylor suggests we do. The first practice is keep asking why. Now, my son Ollie is not at the stage yet when he is constantly asking why. He is in a current stage where he's constantly asking us to sing songs from Encanto, but that's different. He's not asking us the why questions yet, so this still feels like an endearing suggestion to me. Maybe I will change my mind when things are a little different. But I think that as we grow up and have more responsibility and demands on our lives, we lose some of this natural inclination to wonder why. This can be wondering about the world, can be wondering about ourselves, 
Instead, we start to judge the world or judge ourselves. And we can become so detached from our own needs and longings that we get stuck even further in despair or cynicism. But even in Psalm 42, the writer asks of his own soul, why? Why am I feeling this way? He has to actually remind himself to hope. This search for holiness, for the steadying nature of God, is also an inner process. Actually pausing to ask, why is my soul cast down? Not that you would use that language, most likely, but why am I feeling like this? What do I need? What can I change? This act of wondering and questioning can put us in a better mindset to take care of ourselves now and to wonder about the future. And as we ask why, I think it's also important to ask this alongside of God. We ask why with God, not necessarily at God, because God isn't withholding some secret answer or source of peace from us, this kind of God works in mysterious ways that can be used to over-spiritualize our pain. But when we ask why with God, we can see God wondering and hoping and longing with us in our self-discovery, which is definitely more consistent with God's character. So we ask why, and then the second exercise we can take on is to look for opportunities to be in reverence and awe Cole Arthur Riley, another favorite author of mine, talks a lot about the importance of awe, being in awe of the world around us, of people and places and creation and our own selves is a necessity. Finding beauty in the ordinary is a form of salvation, she says. Finding beauty in the ordinary is a form of salvation. I love that. That even, um, even as we were walking yesterday um, over to the farmer's market in Evanston, my husband Andy stopped me and said, wow, look at that tree. And there's this massive tree with tons and tons of branches spread out. And I totally would have missed it because I was just not paying attention and I wasn't looking up. And it sounds so silly and simple, but I think it really is the process of looking for the holy and being in awe of exactly what is right in front of us that can keep us going, especially when we are feeling disoriented or downcast. When we behold the beauty of things, even the smallest, most ordinary things, it can help bring us up out of despair, or at least it can accompany us when the despair feels too all-encompassing to press forward just yet. Finding beauty in the ordinary is a form of salvation. As we close our time for today, as we hold these tensions of then and now, hope and despair, I would love for you to encourage you to look to God as a partner in navigating the natural ebb and flow of life that Psalm 42 speaks of. I think it can be really tempting, again, to replace that wonder with judgment and to judge where we think we should be at or how we should be feeling, all of the shoulds. Whether you're looking back at easier, happier times or comparing our journey to those around us, the discontent can be really loud. And honestly, it can feel quite helpless when you just want to feel differently, when you want life to look different than the reality in front of you, which is what the author of this psalm is expressing. But I think a great deal of comfort can come from embracing what is, 
even as we long for what could be, to keep wondering and validating your very present longings, because life will continue to be disorienting and we will keep having to adjust and cope and find new ways to seek out joy and celebrate again. But there is a God that is a living stone, steady and changing, that moves with us. And we can experience that closeness as the waves continue to rise and fall. So would you join me in praying this portion of a prayer by Marjorie Suhaki that comes out of Psalm 42. Take a moment just to breathe, to steady yourself, maybe picture the rise and fall of those waves, whether a small ripple or a giant surge, the consistency, the steadiness, the change. God of downcast souls, grant us grace to know your voice, to hear again your song in the night, bringing calm assurance like a mother's lullaby. We long for your living water and your peace to quiet our unease. For you, O oh God, are our help and our hope, our rock in a weary land. May your steadfast love guide all our days. Amen. Thank you all so much in joining me and reflecting this morning. I'll invite Vince back up to do some announcements. Thanks, Haley. I want us to actually just stay in that place for a moment longer. Um, I don't know if I'm uh, projecting onto all of you, but just feeling in a place of uh, in touch with the downcastness. Um, I yeah, I feel in touch with downcastness today, and um, I've had several conversations even in the last 48 hours of people in our community who feel deeply in touch with downcast souls. Um, yeah, not necessarily using that language, as Haley said. Um, but uh, part of being community is um, making space for um, all of the various emotions in the room. And so um, I, what I would like to do is uh, to pray over anybody who um, you feel downcast today for whatever reason. Your soul is just, yeah, it's, 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 in, it's down in the pit. And, um, and if... If that is you, what I would like you to do is to get yourself in a posture of being receptive and receiving this prayer, receiving God being with you. And then if that is not you right now, what I would like you to do is join in with your own prayer silently here as I pray. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna offer some words and everybody else, we're all going to participate. We're gonna offer our own words or we're going to be in a receptive posture. Uh, you don't have to call yourself out. You don't have to tell anybody else uh, which uh, side of that spectrum you're on today, on the downcast or praying for the downcast. Um, but uh, this it just feels like a week where there's more downcastness than usual, and I would like to pray uh, in that space. So pray with me if you'd like to close your eyes to help you feel prayerful or take a deep breath or you know, focus on something on the wall or something, whatever helps you to feel relaxed and comfortable. Um, God, we identify in our hearts, each of us, where we are there. Are we feeling downcast and we need to receive right now? Or are we joining in prayer 
for the sisters, brothers, siblings next to us who might feel downcast. We identify for ourselves. Okay, everyone know where you are on there? Good, all right. God, we, we open our hearts now to receive healing for the wounds that stay with us. For the downcast souls in the room that have wounds that are long ago, uh, long ago wounds, and they just, they cut so hard when it happened that they're still with us, even years, maybe decades removed from those. We receive your healing, God, your spirit that can wash over the worst wounds. They will leave a scar that will teach us and that will remind us, but they do not have to continue to cut. The splinters can be removed. We pray for your spirit to do that, to remove the splinters of those long ago wounds. For others of us feeling downcast, it's not long ago wounds, it's just, frankly, this week was shit. (laughs) What do we do with that, God? What do we do with all of the with all of the demands and exhaustions and relationships that have led to us feeling in this downcast place, maybe they feel trivial or like we're not allowed to be upset by them because they're like so much worse pain out there that other people could experience, but we can't deny that we feel in this place and so we just feel stuck. God, meet us in this place. You can smooth out the bumps. You can can heal these things that, 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 that feel like wounds, that feel like burns, and yet we keep trying to explain away because they don't feel bad enough, you can sort that out for us. You can meet us. You can guide us into better pastures that we can think more clearly. And for all of us, we just, we long to be able to show up day by day and live in accordance with our deepest values. But it is just so hard. It is so hard when sometimes we just feel downcast and other times it just, there's so, there's so much cruff in between purpose or meaning in life and what's right in front of us. Carry us to what is next for each of us today and knit us together as a community. Knit together those who uh, have started this prayer time saying, I'm praying for others, and, and those who have started this prayer time saying, I'm receiving because I do feel downcast. Knit us together as a community. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.